I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 111 for the reading of God's Word. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 603. Let us now hear God's word. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. As far as the reading of God's word, made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 111 is a poem, a song. It's poetry. And it uses a literary device called an acrostic. We use acrostics in the English language. In Hebrew poetry, particularly in the Psalms, an acrostic would look something like this. Each line of the poem would be a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the psalm, each line of the poem, would begin with the first letter of the alphabet, and the psalm would end with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The psalmist makes a declaration, a declaration of prayer or praise to God, but he also makes an appeal to praise. He makes a declaration and appeal to praise God, and he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. With his whole heart, he gives thanks to his God. The heart refers to the inner man or woman. It's the center of man's being. Your mind, what you think, your will, how you respond to what you know your actions, your affections, those things that you desire most. And so he says, with his whole heart, Lord, with my whole heart, I give you thanks. With my mind, I give you thanks. With my will, by the way I live my life, I give you thanks. With my desires, I give you thanks. Because after all, God wants your heart, your whole heart, He doesn't want half of it, a quarter of it, three quarters of it, five-eighths. 
He wants your whole heart and my whole heart. And the psalmist brings all of these parts of his being, the mind, will, and affections, and directs them heavenward in praise and adoration. So that from his heart flows thankfulness. He's experienced the goodness and grace of God in his life. That's who the thankful people are. They've experienced something in their lives. Why, why are we thankful of something or anything? You receive something, and so you respond in thankfulness. Well, the psalmist receives something from the Lord, something very profound and deep, something beautiful. And he responds in wholehearted thanksgiving. This morning, I want to think about two things as it relates to wholehearted thanksgiving. I could preach three sermons on this one psalm, actually. But we're going to do it in one sermon. We're going to hear one sermon. I want to focus particularly on two things. Give wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord in the presence of his people and give wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord for his wondrous works. In the presence of his people for his wondrous works. First, give wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord in the presence of his people. In verse 1, he says, Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Where? In the company of the upright in the congregation. In small gatherings and in great congregations or great gatherings. In small assemblies and in great assemblies. In small group Bible studies and in great grand worship services. Give wholehearted thanksgiving. The, apostle, or the author appeals to the church to join him in a chorus of praise and thanks because the people of God are recipients of God's grace and revelation. We share a common faith in the Lord. We share a common hope in the Lord. And we share a common Love for the Lord. Because we have these commonalities, these like-mindedness truths, these like-minded truths, we come together as a community, a communion with commonality to declare our praise to God, our thanksgiving to God, from a whole heart, from the whole heart. We join, congregation, the multitude of the upright, that is, the upright being the righteous ones. The congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, made up of believers, through faith in Jesus Christ, are the righteous ones. Upright in heart, not by their works or merits, but by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. So God has done a transforming work in the heart of the psalmist, in the heart of his people, in the heart of Christians that responds in praise and thanksgiving from the heart. The heart that's received this grace is now responding in thanksgiving. 
We join the multitude of the upright in song and prayer for the gifts of God's grace and his showering of his blessings to us. In his commentary on the Psalms, Charles Spurgeon says something wonderful. I love what he says here. On Psalm 111, he says this, Do it now, do it always. Now, he was a fiery preacher. And so this, was, this is what was written down, but I can only imagine what he was, how he was preaching this. Do it now, do it always, do it heartily, do it unanimously, that is with one mind. Do it eternally, even if others refuse. Take care that you always have a song for your God. Isn't that beautiful? Put away all doubt, question, murmuring, and rebellion, and give yourself up to the praise of Jehovah, both with your lips and your lives, with lips and lives, with your whole heart, give thanks to God. Because we have a song to sing to the Lord, even in fiery trials, do we not? Choose this day and every day to give wholehearted thanksgiving privately. The author's not saying we don't do it privately. We do in our devotional life. We give praise to God with our families, that small group. We give praise and thanks to God with our whole hearts by His grace. By grace through faith in Jesus, Christians are united to Christ and united to one another through his one body on the cross that was crucified for us. And because Jesus died for his people, died for his sheep, we, are, we enter into his holy congregation, and this holy congregation gathers or assembles together to offer a common praise and thanksgiving to God. I mean, think about the votum. I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's Jesus speaking, by the way. I, Jesus, will tell of your name, Father, to my brothers, you and me. Where? In the midst of the congregation. When God's people gather together, what's happening? Christ is present in a powerful, powerful way by the Spirit. Perhaps you've read the book of Revelation. You ever notice some of the visions that John the Apostle received? What does he usually receive? A vision of what? A multitude. A multitude doing what? Giving wholehearted thanksgiving to God. You see, on this side of glory, we can't do that because we still, are in, we still wrestle with sin. We have indwelling sin. But in heaven, the multitude are giving wholehearted thanksgiving to God, unhindered by sin. Because they sin no more. In these visions in Revelation, the Lord showed the apostle the grandeur, the beauty of heaven, and the corporate collective Thanksgiving from the multitude of the redeemed people who are before the throne of God and the Lamb who was slain. 
Giving what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Do you have a song to sing in the presence of the congregation in the company of the upright? You better believe it. You better believe it. There's something about a strong singing church. The congregation singing. There's something about a congregation singing that gives glory to God, thanksgiving to God, and it edifies one another. Because we sing, we're not only singing praises to God and thanksgiving in the company of the upright in the congregation, but we're also singing to one another, singing God's truths to one another so that we are encouraged. And here's another profound thought of Scripture. We who remain on earth as we sing, we're actually joining the angels in heaven. You know that? We're joining the multitude in heaven who are worshiping the Lord. See, congregation, thanksgiving by definition involves an external, outward expression of gratitude for an invisible grace from the giver of every perfect gift who is God the Father. Thanksgiving is an outward, external expression of an invisible grace having been received from who? From God the Father. A Christian who doesn't express gratitude or thanksgiving has neglected to remember, we'll get to that in a minute, remember and rejoice in the giver of every good gift. A freelance writer I used to read a while back, in one of his books he he had said this, there's no such thing as gratitude unexpressed. If it is unexpressed, it's just plain old-fashioned ingratitude. Did I read that again? There's no such thing as gratitude unexpressed. If it is unexpressed, it is plain old-fashioned ingratitude. Give wholehearted thanks to the Lord in the presence of his people because we have a song to sing. What do we sing about? What do we give wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord for? Well, the author will go into that. The psalmist will declare an appeal to praise the Lord with wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord for his wondrous works. For his wondrous works. Great, verse 2, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. I'll stop right there. There's plenty of great works of art, great works of literature, great works of music, and people make a living off of studying these works of art, literature, and music. They spend most of their professional career dissecting interpreting, understanding these great works. Now, there are benefits to studying these works. But to what end? They may be good things to study, but to what end? What is the author saying here about the works of the Lord? His righteousness endures forever. 
The Lord is gracious and merciful. He remembers his covenant forever. All his precepts are trustworthy. He's faithful and just. All the works of the Lord are these things. And that is why they are great. Because in the works of the Lord, we learn to fear the Lord and study his works to find true wisdom that leads to eternal life. The Christian delights in studying God's word because we find life and hope and peace in the very word of God. The works of the Lord, the author says, are great. They are great quantitatively. That is, there are too many to count. (laughs) They are too numerous to count. And they are great qualitatively. That is, they are majestic and profound that we can never plumb the depths of them in this life. The psalmist is raptured, enamored by the works of the Lord as he remembers the works of the Lord. God's works lift up our hearts to the goodness and greatness of our God. Think about that for a moment, congregation. When you study the word, when you hear the word of God preached, when you hear Christ crucified and risen for sinners like you and me, preached and proclaimed, does not your heart lift heavenward where he is? Do you not rejoice with thanksgiving to his mercies for his works? Does not your mind get lifted up to heaven? Does not your will desire to be transformed and to walk in a manner worthy of Christ? Moved by the Spirit of God toward action. Does not your affections deepen toward a greater trust and love for Jesus? You see, God works His mercy and we respond with gratitude and thanksgiving from a whole heart, a heart that delights in the Lord as our souls are lifted to heaven and we reflect upon his greatness and beauty, the beauty of his nature, because there's none like our God. The moment, the moment we become stagnant in our faith, the moment we bring God down to us and think God is like us and that we figured him out is the moment we are deceived. What exactly are these works? In the Psalms, especially a Psalm like 104, Israel and the congregation of Israel marveled at God's creative work, his power in creation. And then in Psalm 105, 105, they marvel at the uh, exodus from Egypt. In this psalm, there's an emphasis on his works in redemptive history. How did God work to save his people from the tyranny of Pharaoh, the tyranny of the Egyptians? How did God bring them to a promised land, the land of Canaan? How did God save them? 
There's an emphasis here, congregation, by the author focusing our attention, our hearts, upon God's providence and God's grace. God's providence and God's grace. The Lord's Day 10 in the Heidelberg Catechism defines providence as the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that all things in fact come to us not by chance but by his fatherly hand. And the author remembers God has caused his people to remember his providential work throughout the course of their history. He caused them to remember that he called them and loved them and chose them. They were least among the nations. There was nothing in them that was lovable. According to the scriptures, God foretold the events of their slavery in Egypt. And while in Egypt, when the Hebrew people cried out, he listened to their prayer, he listened to their cry, and he remembered his promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12. That you will be my people and I will be your God. And that I will give you a land, the land of Canaan. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. He visited them. He sent them a prophet, a mediator, Moses, to lead them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before leaving, he sent ten plagues, his righteous judgments. The author is reflecting upon these, and we'll later see that flushed out. Because the context surrounding all of these, these Psalms, 110 to 118, we have Passover. 113 to 118 were Psalms sung for the Passover, reflecting upon their time in Egypt and how God saved them. The author remembers the works of God's salvation. And how the Jews were helpless and hopeless, but God, by his mighty power and works, saved them from the tyranny of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and guided them through the wilderness, giving them everything that they stand in need of. He causes wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful, He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. He fulfilled his promise when he gave them the land of Canaan. When seven nations were removed, this small nation became a great nation. And they didn't win the land by their strength. No, God won it for them. Remember. He's, he remembers what God has done. Because God caused them to remember his works. He wrote it on their hearts and he wrote it in the word of God. Despite their sin and unworthiness, God redeemed his people by his grace. He sent redemption to his people, verse 9. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. 
So he reflects upon the works of the Lord, the God, God's providence, the way he led them out of Egypt and redeemed them, and he reflects upon the grace of God. God alone redeemed Israel and rescued them from their sin and rescued them from the tyranny of Pharaoh. How did he do that? Well, in the last plague, we have the blood of the Lamb. God ordained and instituted the Passover. Slay the Lamb. Put its blood on the doorposts, on the lintels. And when the angel of death passes through, the angel of death will pass over your home. And so the Hebrews were spared. But those who didn't do it face God's righteous judgment. Remember what I have done to save you. Let me ask you something now, Christian. Does not this psalm apply to us? God kept his covenant of grace with Abraham and his church, sending his son and Abraham's offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, who was our sacrificial lamb. And we, as Christians, embrace the history of redemption, as the author points out here in Psalm 111, as our own, because we are Abraham's offspring, the man of faith. We share the same common faith, the common hope, and the common love for the Lord. God's Son entered the human race, taking on a human body and a human nature, so that he laid down his life for a ransom that he would lay down his life to pay the penalty of sin that we deserve. Remember, Christian, and he has caused us to remember. How do we remember? The same way. God has written it on our hearts. How has he written on his hearts? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. The Spirit of God who dwells within you, believer, is that living testimony of his redemption, his grace, that Jesus has shed his blood for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins and mine. He sent redemption. God, we do not redeem ourselves. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot make our way into heaven. We cannot force our way into heaven. Our destiny by nature is a one-way ticket to hell, but God, by his mercy and grace, plucked us out of the depth of hell and redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. Praise be to God. And we do not fear because Christ defeated the work of the devil by his work on the cross, and in his resurrection he conquered the grave. Indeed, God caused his grace and covenant to be remembered in us and among us and in his church. We gather together to sing about it. We gather together to talk about it. We gather together to hear about it from pe preaching and teaching. And with it, we give wholehearted thanks to God because he has put his spirit in our hearts and he has given us his infallible, inspired word of God. You want to know God? You want to know how he saves by his grace? Learn and know and meditate upon him. Study his word. And hear the preaching of his word, the teaching of the word, and you will know wisdom. That's why the author concludes with that section there. The fear of the Lord, that is reverent trust of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, that is practice wisdom, have a good understanding. 
those who do not trust in the Lord, the Lord of this word, will live a foolish life that leads to ingratitude. And will not have good understanding, but live a life of folly. Wisdom begins with God and reverent trust in him. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice wisdom have good understanding into the works of the Lord and how to walk in his ways. You see, to know the, the works of the Lord is one thing. To know about God is one thing. But to know the works of the Lord and know God is another. Give wholehearted praise and thanksgiving because his praise endures forever. I want to conclude with a few points of application here that I think are important for us. Because we live in a very anxious time. Many of us are going through various periods of struggle, many periods of anxieties. The cares of this world are overwhelming. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of struggle. If I went to each and every one of you, I'm sure I can get at least a dozen that are going on in your hearts and in mine. Where does wholehearted thanksgiving come into play? First, wholehearted thanksgiving is being content with God and his daily mercies for you. So what's the opposite of that? The opposite is discontentment. So those who show wholehearted thanksgiving are content, seeking to be content, with God's mercies for them in that day. And what they have to look, hope, what they look forward to in the life to come. You see how wholehearted thanksgiving comes into play here? The attitude of the heart. Because when we give thanks, we're showing contentment, which is the antidote to discontentment. You've know, you know probably now that I had to deal with this, that I'm wrestling with this, I'm preaching to myself as I share with you my struggle with discontentment. A few weeks back, this hit me between the eyes. Second, wholehearted thanksgiving focuses on the mercies of God and is the opposite of complaining. Think about that. When you give wholehearted thanksgiving to the Lord for his mercies, his works in your life daily, is that complaining? No, it's quite the opposite. So wholehearted thanksgiving is the opposite of discontentment, the opposite of complaining. In seasons of trials, it's easy to be blind of the little blessings, the small blessings, and the great blessings by the struggles themselves. And to forget. We need to remember. We need to remember to give all of our cares and anxieties to the Lord because he cares for us. And in doing so, give wholehearted thanks. Third, wholehearted thanksgiving focuses on God and not self. Which kind of sums up the first two, discontentment and complaining. 
You see, when we give wholehearted thanks with mind, will, and affections, we are denying self and looking to the God who gives every good and perfect gift. Let us not allow our anxieties, cares, and concerns to blind us from the great works of God that are right before our eyes. Right before our eyes. There's a minister of the gospel who illustrated the difference between ingratitude and gratitude. And I think this sums up what I've said thus far nicely. At least for me it did. I hope it does for you. But think about what he says. I'm going to quote him now. He wrote, If one should give me a dish of sand and tell me there were particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my eyes or search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet and sweep through it and how it would draw itself and how it would draw to itself the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction. The unthankful heart, like my finger in the sand, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. Only the iron in God's sand is gold. That is good. That is rich. You hear what he's saying, young people? You hear what he's saying, senior saints? The thankful heart sweeps through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. Let us not study and meditate upon our trials and anxieties. Yes, we deal with them in their time. Yes, we bring them before the Lord. But when you study and meditate upon those, what happens? You become consumed by them. But when you study and meditate upon the Word, upon His works, and you bring those cares and anxieties to the Lord and give them to Him, what happens? We give wholehearted thanksgiving. And our eyes of faith are turned upon Jesus. On this Thanksgiving day, let us be reminded of the appeal to praise the Lord and lift up our whole hearts to him in Thanksgiving, studying and remembering his wondrous works for us. The works of the Father sending the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accomplish a salvation that is full and free a salvation purchased by the blood of Jesus and for the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Let us meditate upon these things, knowing that there is a future inheritance that has been purchased for us by the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, an inheritance in the heavenly Canaan, the heavenly Jerusalem, where saints in glory will dwell. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. 
that you have done a work in the hearts of your people. By your spirit and word, you have called us to yourself. You have chosen us before the foundations of the world were created. You have caused us to be born again to a living hope. You have caused us to look upon your son and remember his sacrifice for us. We thank you, O Lord, that we remember that we belong to him in body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sins and to deliver us from the tyranny of the devil. Oh, Father, may we give you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, wholehearted praise and thanksgiving as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we pray that you would be with each family represented here. May you shower them with your grace and wisdom. May you, O oh Lord, work in hearts, hearts that are unredeemed, hearts that are cold toward you, hearts that are hardened toward the gospel. May you soften and heal and restore and redeem, we pray. Father, we pray that those who are going through trials of the soul, we pray, O oh Lord, that thanksgiving would be that antidote for them, that remedy for the soul as we lay our souls bare before your throne of grace. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the ministry of Divine Hope Reformed Bible Seminary and your wondrous work that you are doing there and the wondrous work that you are doing through your service, Reverends Anima, Brummel, and Malin, and Brother John Hamstra. We thank you, O Lord, for your work in that ministry as the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth in prisons that you are calling many to yourself and that many are being discipled in your word and by your spirit. O oh Lord, receive all the glory, honor, and praise, for you indeed alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.